0: Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Paul Moore. I'm Professor of Creative Technologies at Ulster University. And more importantly, I think, for this afternoon, I'm Director of Future Screens NI, which is the AHRC Creative Industries Cluster for Northern Ireland. Can I say right away that we at Future Screens Northern Ireland are both proud and privileged to sponsor Breastival, which is a unique celebration which supports and normalizes breastfeeding. I'm especially pleased to be here today as we come together to consider the N.I. politics of breastfeeding, and to work together to try and develop mechanisms to drive societal change with respect to breastfeeding. For me, a really important aspect of this is making that change in the industries in which women work. And that's particularly the case for the creative industries, which sadly, um, and I don't think anyone can contradict this, have a history of undervaluing the contribution of women in that space. When I was thinking about what I wanted to say today, um, I was kind of reminded about my own politics from 100 years ago, Um, it was actually the 1970s. But the big movement in the 1970s was, is that the political is personal. And that was kind of connected to the movement around radical activism and second wave feminism. And it was part of the hippie movement, obviously in the 1970s. And I used to be very embarrassed Um, about having that happy past, uh, about being in that space and and having been involved in that to some extent. Now, actually, I've begun to hold it as a badge of honour because I think it's even more relevant now than it was then. And I've no doubt that the discussion we're going to have today will be very much about how the political is personal and how it's political with a capital P, but also political with a small p. I'm absolutely delighted to say that we're joined today by Paula Bradley, MLA and Deputy Leader of the DUP and Chair of the Communities Committee. I've had the privilege of engaging with Paula as part of Future Screens NI, and Paula is a senior politician, and I do not say this lightly, who has a unique voice in the politics of Northern Ireland. She's led initiatives to increase women's representation in politics, to tackle women's health issues, And to address the very significant challenges we face as a community in this region. I can't think of anybody better today to join us and I'm looking forward to listening to what she has to say about the possibilities for change. It's also my great privilege to introduce a woman um, who I would imagine needs no introduction in this space. Gabrielle Palmer is the globally globally recognized author of the politics of breastfeeding. There is much that could be said about Gabrielle. She's a teacher She's been a campaigner all her life. But perhaps in this context, it's enough to say that Gabrielle has been the driving force behind the breastfeeding movement. Indeed, she and many like her is the reason that, like others, I've chosen to boycott certain global companies. Because like Gabrielle, I spent a lot of time in Africa and have seen it firsthand, the damage caused by the unsafe use of formula. That's perhaps another story for another day but it reinforces that notion that the personal is political. And My time in Africa taught me much about um, the responsibilities that we in the West have and the responsibility that we don't necessarily face. So I'm really looking forward to the thoughts and stimulating words which Gabrielle will deliver to encourage us to raise our voices and work for change. And lastly, but not least, I want to introduce you to my colleague, Nola Thoman, who's chair of Brestable. I have the absolute honor of working with Noah on a daily basis. Noah has become the backbone of the local creative industries in this region. While I may may be the director, I know that is merely a figurehead, and I know who does the work on an absolute daily basis, day and night, I'm sad to say, um, because she's often getting in touch with me um, late in the evening with some problem that she's trying to solve. Noah in another life is a specialist in transformational change, education, technology, public finance, public engagement and political strategy. There are many examples of legislative change that Nuala has driven forward, but all I will say is that after NULA's time working in Scotland, it's no surprise that the right to home is enshrined in legislation. She always has her eye on the future prize and she has the ability to identify actions Which will secure really long term goals. Noah, I'm delighted to say because I see the little one on a daily basis, is also a mother. And from that, for me, she is a continual source of kindness and encouragement. I say that because we've seen much and learned much about ourselves over the pandemic period. The re emergence of kindness in all its contexts, for me, has been one of the greater outcomes of the pandemic. It's one of the reasons why in Future Screens N.I., Noah and I now insist that we will leave no one behind. But kindness too must have a political resonance. And that resonance is most profoundly captured for me in a quote from the poet Andre Lord, which I feel dovetails beautifully with the aims of Bristol. Andre Lord says, caring for myself is not self-indulgence. It is self-preservation and that in itself is an act of political warfare may we soon see the new world we all deserve emerge from these daily personal political battles i'm really looking forward to the session and i'm going to hand over to nola who's here to oversee proceedings and guide the discussion
1: thank you paul Um, i really appreciate those very kind words and I'm sure the guests that are joining um, joining us really appreciate the eloquent and thoughtful words that you have shared um, about them as well. You set the scene brilliantly for this session, in particular talking about the personal and the political and the importance of kindness. We are very privileged here at Breastival to have a, such a distinguished panel for this session. And on behalf of Breastival, I would like to thank Paul, Gabrielle and Paula for taking part. To all of you who have joined us today to participate in this session, this is your opportunity to be part of a conversation for change. The theme of World Breastfeeding Week this year is protecting breastfeeding a shared responsibility. That is why we're asking you as participants in the festival to raise your voice and act for change. Paula, as a senior politician, is providing us with an important vehicle to engage with her and her party and Assembly colleagues. Gabrielle Palmer is here to provide us, as she has always done, with inspiration um, and many reasons why we still need to work for change, particularly in this place. We owe it to ourselves, our children and future generations to work together to change the narrative around breastfeeding. And I will now quickly explain the running order and a few housekeeping points. If you have questions for the panel or suggestions for change, please raise your hand or post in the chat. This is a respectful space where our overall objective is to work together and to listen and to respect each other Any political questions should solely be directed towards breastfeeding related issues, and I will be supporting Paula and Gabrielle and Paul to navigate through the questions and feedback, I will now hand over to Paula,
2: who will be followed by Gabrielle. Thank you Nila and can I also um, thank Paul um for his very kind introduction and i hope i can i can do, do it justice and can i just say and begin by saying that i'm truly delighted um, to be here today hosting this round table on the northern ireland politics of breastfeeding i'd like to extend my thanks also to Brestville for their invitation and opportunity to engage with mothers and families and to hear directly from you about your experiences and recommendations for improvement and i know there are many The theme of World Breastfeeding Week is Protect Breastfeeding, a shared responsibility. Shared responsibility emphasizes the role that we can all play together as a community and as a society to normalize breastfeeding. If we are to protect breastfeeding, then we must understand and address the barriers to breastfeeding and communities has a significant role to play. Indeed, each and every one of us can play an essential role in ensuring that breastfeeding is not viewed as a private activity, but as a normal part of everyday life. Today, I am keen to listen to you, to hear your suggestions about how we can work together to protect breastfeeding. I intend to bring recommendations from today back both to my party and to my assembly colleagues. Which will inform future strategies with respect to breastfeeding, child health, perinatal mental health and ways in which we can build communities which better support families. We know COVID-19 has separated many new families from their extended families and services. We are beginning to emerge from the crisis and we remain vigilant about the need to protect ourselves and others. I would like to commend and congratulate each and every one of you who had your baby during this crisis. I'd like to commend all of you here today for your role as parents and carers throughout the crisis. You truly are all heroes. Today's event is all the more important for providing us with the opportunity to connect after such a long time. I'm honored to be here with you and welcome the discussion that will ensue. I'm absolutely delighted um, to pass on now to our keynote speaker, Gabrielle uh, Palmer. It is an absolute coup that we have you here with us today, Gabrielle. I can't wait to listen to you. I think you'll give us lots of food for thought, and I think that we could go on to have a very lively debate with some positive outcomes at the end of that debate. So I'll hand over to you, Gabrielle. You're on silent, Gabrielle. Thank you, okay, you can hear? Yes,
3: uh, thank you, Paul and Paula for saying such very head swelling things. Um, I've been retired for some time and it's a real all due to Nula who somehow without putting any pressure on me, spun this net and I was trapped <laughs> uh, because, and then I rang Janet Calvert and asked her are these people really as good as they seem? <laughs> and she said, yes. <laughs> and so I've come out of retirement. So forgive me if I'm a little bit unprofessional um, because I've been dealing with grandchildren and things like that. And um, first of all, so I'm going, I want to say, you're, I think you're wonderful. I think the way you're working is absolutely my dream. Like, like Paul, i from the seventies where the personal is political. And also I really believe in people coming together, preferably very different sort of people. I think that's the most creative way of working. And sadly, I I thought all those years ago when I got involved that this was such a straightforward issue that in five years we could sort it out. And here I am, that was back in the 1970s. Um, So I'm going to say two depressing things and then hopefully say some encouraging things. Um, first of all, this thing about the shared responsibility, um, I can see, I love it that you're saying breastfeeding protection, because I'm actually against breastfeeding promotion because I'm the sort of person, when I'm told to do something, I think, why should I? <laughs> and so, and my, both my daughter and daughter-in-law, when they were pregnant, I never mentioned breastfeeding to them at all. And they both breastfed and and actually my daughter-in-law was planning to breastfeed for four weeks and she breastfed for two years so nothing to do with me there was there was a few machiavellian things with my son <laughs> Um, now the thing that worries me about this saying a shared responsibility is industry will love this they will absolutely love it because they can say we want to share the responsibility and i and i think you can protect, you can do everything to support mothers, all the personal stuff, fabulous. But they have billions, you know, the global sales, they now exceed 70 billion. And the money spent on on promotion is not the big crude billboards, it's luring and entrapping all the medical profession, the pediatricians. And I don't know whether any of you saw the article in the BMJ in May, um 2020 about how all the claims for um for it's by bob boyle and helen of imperial college helen crawley and sorry i have to check this because my mind isn't as good daniel Munblit they all analyzed all these special milks um all the hydrolyzing formulas they all looked at all the there is no evidence they do any good at all and the National Health Service spends millions of spends getting special milks for special babies. It doesn't prevent allergies. It's all the information about cow's milk allergy is very, very dodgy. And I had the great compliment of Robert Boyle, Bob Boyle, coming from Imperial College to see me. He, you know, Because of COVID, I wasn't going anywhere and he came to Cambridge. And the thing he explained is if you're a pediatrician, to have a good career, to rise up the ranks, you have to be um, in with the baby food companies, in with the, with. Them. in fact, I avoid the word "in formula because it's a marketing word. And so I, I, I always dodge it, it should be called artificial milk, which it was until about the 1980s. Um, and they're spending money on this. They're luring people, they're entrapping people. I'm not saying these health professionals are bad people, but people need money and I can well, imagine them saying we share the responsibility we care all the women who can't feed all the women who don't feed all the women who don't want you know they will say oh there are problems there's this there's that and i think when when paul mentioned africa i have to say i learnt more about breastfeeding by working with the poorest women in the world than I ever did with any any book or any degree. I mean, I've learned an awful lot, you know, all the fascinating things about it. I used to run this course on it for doctors, but watching the way they worked hard and breastfed their babies responsively, And this was very much my primary experience in Mozambique. And I know that all our awful problems have been spread around the world through colonialism. And I think we could learn a lot from those women because they know how to breastfeed and it's not cerebral. And I feel embarrassed because for someone who's written books and writes, and I think it's, we've got too cerebral about it. And the thing I want publicly, and this is where all of you come in. And I think it's, I'm so thrilled that you acknowledge this, that breastfeeding everywhere, is going to wake people up. The number of people I've known who said, I was seven years old, and I went into the teacher's office at school, and my teacher was breastfeeding her child. And I thought, oh, I want to do that. Somebody said that to me the other day. I saw um, my neighbor breastfeeding. We are imprinted with things as children. And, you know, terrible things sometimes that has a bad effect on us. This is a good thing. Now, I never want to say, you must go out and breastfeed in a sort of showy off way because we're, we're in the West, we have shyness, you know, people, people don't feel comfortable and people are nasty. They still are. And this to me is terribly important because now we've just had COVID. Supposing every time we washed our hands, somebody mocked us or said, "Ooh, what do you think you're doing there? You know, because, because of that. And I think this is a very fundamental point Uh, The other point about it is that we have to care for all those women who, for all the reasons we know only too well, are not breastfeeding because of our society. I have to just say, I went back to Mozambique in 2017 and everybody of all classes is still breastfeeding. They do not advertise anything there. They have a functioning code and they have very sophisticated people, business people, country women, everybody everybody still breastfeeds in the ordinary way and my Mozambican friends always burst out laughing when I said when I remember when I said I'm writing a book on breastfeeding they couldn't think of anything funnier because who would need that and it's true they, they really do now back to and this is where I oh god I feel my age I lost my point <laughs> um I, as coming back to the whole thing of combating of, of implementing the code, which by the way, many people are trying to sunset the code, people are trying to stop it. Uh, this is talked about in circles. Um, I know that Baby Mugatchon told me this. There are Nestlé has just given a couple of million and the WHO 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 has accepted it, which it hasn't, so, so that's very significant. And, and it's and the, those people. Are much cleverer than me, much cleverer than anybody. They hire the top psychologists; they're the highest paid. And if any of you can get hold of something called Euro Monitor, um, you must be able. which is the, it's the marketer's bible. It's terribly expensive. I've never been able to afford it. I've had to give it been given illicitly, and I gave my last copy away. I think in 2013. And it plans and it says things like. We've got a real problem in America, in the United States, because breastfeeding is getting more popular. Sort of basically, how can we stop this? And then it says in China, the Sanlu scandal about plastic, you know, the contaminated formula, contaminated with um, chemicals. um, uh, That's probably quite a good thing for Nestle and Danone and all the others, because now the Chinese all want uh, want to buy our formula. Isn't that marvellous? So it's the local companies that used it mostly. It's completely um, frank. It's wonderful. And the thing is that all the lies that are told, this is what the code said. In fact, I've got the, the thing to it say, I'll just read it. It was that it was for the protection and promotion of breastfeeding, because that's the best thing, but also for all those children who are artificially fed and we don't protect them. Um, Helen Crawley, who was actually wrote this article too, and is a brilliant, brilliant nutritionist and set up first step to nutrition. She said, um, all the milk, she used to work for the British government when it was MAF, now DEFRA, analyzing the milks, and it was never what it said on the label. And now the government just trusts them and to give the right data. Well, you do not know what is in the tin. And also the whole UN body of of, um, Codex Alimentarius, you know, the UN body which says, this cannot be put in food, this can be. The regulation of formula is is even inferior to ordinary food. They can put in any new product and they don't have to warn them and it can be tested on the market. Now this is all, this is all there. I can give you lots more information. I can't go on about it now because there isn't time but the whole thing about this is if you compare the money they're spending with the costs of health and this really affects governments is for example the costs of respiratory infection which is st- is now exceeding diarrhea the biggest killer of babies it's the biggest thing that if you're not breastfed you're very very likely to get you know you're far more vulnerable to respiratory infections because you don't get the immunity and the In the Dundee study in the 1990s, up till then, people thought, well, it's all right, because we're all clean. What the Dundee study found was that we in the UK have the same rates of infection, if we're not breastfed, as the Philippines, as the Manila, the slummy Manila Philippines. It's just that we have this fabulous health service that rescues all these babies, diagnoses quickly, health visitor can treat. So I want us to think about all those mothers, all those families, all those parents who don't know, and all the politicians who don't know, and I'm afraid all the doctors who don't know, how every time we're not breastfeeding a child, we're taking a risk. And I don't want to upset people. And I can say to all of you that I have never said to an individual ever in my life, and would never say it to any family member, I wouldn't say it to anybody, if you had breastfed that child, they would have not, not got that pneumonia. Um, obviously, breastfed children can still get ill, and but uh, Victor, this sort of famous Brazilian uh, researcher, doctor, showed there was a complete correlation between whether you were exclusively breastfed, mixed fed, exclusively bottle fed, whether, and actually, funny enough, he found that children that were fed with cow's milk had the fewer infections than those fed with, in formula, that was in Brazil. Um, and and there was a complete correlation because you're not getting the antibodies. No, we need, I think every woman has the right not to breastfeed if she doesn't want to, I would think it's quite sad, but I and I want to be inclusive, but I think it's wrong that parents are being lied to. The final thing, the last point of that I want to make is, the economics of it is absolutely outstanding. I can't give you, I I, can't, I haven't got the figures to hand, but you all know them and it's in this 2020 article. Um, um, huge cost savings in health. Uh, any government should look at this because it's serious stuff, serious money. And I think all of you together, there are people who know this stuff and there's plenty in the literature about the money that could be saved. You know, in America, the US has done a lot of research in this, there's huge cost savings. And the, and the last thing, um, do you want me to shut up now? Have I gone on too long? No, well, right. <laughs> the last thing is we're entering a climate emergency. Do you know people don't know that children can be breastfed for longer than six months? My professor at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine, he's a lovely man. He was shocked to learn that I had a relative who was breastfed for 14 months. He thought that was odd. He was an anthropologist, he's a nutritionist. And he he just doesn't know that you breastfeed longer than six months if you want to. And thinking about emergencies, when we're looking at fires, floods, heat waves, there'll be electricity shortages, you know, I don't want to be a Cassandra, but we all know This will be a matter of life and death for children in rich countries too, and I've always said this this whole issue is a matter of life and death in poverty. It's a matter of sickness and health in our society. If my grandchild gets a respiratory infection, I can get help quickly. But if you're trapped in a flood, and you hear about formula being helicoptered into some area. Well, if, if you're, even if you're mixed feeding, if you're still, you're lactating and you carry it on and lots of women just give a few breastfeeds in the evening, this is normal around the world, even if their child is being artificially fed in the daytime at a nursery. And this is all key stuff and we'll be having to make these decisions. Now, having said all this gloomy stuff about how terrible it is, and I, I still lose sleep, I just want to say that and this is why I said yes to Nula when I sort of feel, oh, I can't cope with this anymore, because the, there's so much scientific evidence that, uh, in fact, a, a pediatrician called Anthony Costello has called this the social impact, has written a book all this, about people getting together and exchanging information and supporting each other and doing things has more effect than government health campaigns you know than the posters or messages on television that uh, and there are wonderful snippets I just heard the other day how they when they tried to get measles vaccinations this is years ago in India nobody would come in the rural areas until they said two women at a time and when the two went together they supported each other and they got their children vaccinated well I think it's the same with breastfeeding Um, all these things like You know, I don't know whether any of you have been called a nipple Nazi or, um, you know, all the things like insufficient milk syndrome that was invented by the companies. They employ Oxbridge psychologists to plan their advertising campaigns. You know, there's one which says, I wish I had a t-shirt saying sore boobs. That was a Cowan Gate one, a, a, a happy woman. By making it seem difficult and problematic, And they do an awful lot of harm in a very clever way much cleverer than I can in any sort of protection. So I think what I want to say is you're all doing the right thing you're doing it wonderfully, which is why I got persuaded. (laughs) Against my better judgment, and I think that now, because we are, for better or worse, in a time of change because of Covid. We can introduce real health protection, you know, and I'm a child, I'm a product. I was born in 1947, the Second World War. My mother learned so much about health and nutrition and she grew up deprived and probably a bit malnourished certainly with vitamins and things. Most of the British population had some some nutrient deficiencies, 75%. Because of public policy and public action and health protection, health improved dramatically, and actually Britain got a prize. The Lasker Foundation gave Britain a prize for the best uh, improvement in public health ever at the time. Now, I'm a product of that. I was just born a year before the NHS, but my mother knew enough to feed us properly. Um, she had four healthy children, and, and it was, it's all because of public health policy. And I think there's an economic argument in it. And what you're doing now, the main message I want to say is don't burn out. Don't be like me and get absolutely exhausted. Um, But you're doing the right thing. And I'm thrilled to be able to talk to you and delighted that this is all going on. Thanks. I'll stop now.
1: Thanks so much, Gabrielle. I mean, that, that was a very powerful piece that you have shared with us today. And we are... So delighted to have you you with us, um, and just one of the things I I wanted to pick up on before I open it up to the floor is this idea of a a sunset on the 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 code, um, which I think is a very disturbing prospect. Even the fact that we're forty years into the code and it's it's poorly implemented. Um, Across the globe, um, gives me some concern. Um, just as a wee kind of example, when we're talking about the personal and and the, the political, um, my daughter was a breastfed baby. She wouldn't go near a, a bottle, you know. The way there are this mythology that you should be expressing milk to get some time for yourself. Well, Russia was in no way for getting into this at all. She refused every bottle that you know. And she was quite hilariously determined in it. And um, then she went to daycare. And when I went to daycare, I said, you know, Rasha doesn't take a bottle, but it's fine. You know, we're all set. She'll be fine and uh, just give her a wee drink. And so some weeks later I arrived in the, the daycare and they were like, are you sure she doesn't take a bottle? And I said, definitely not. She never has. And she said, well, she's drinking everyone else's <laughs> so the she was the only breastfed baby in the daycare. So at that age, she was experiencing societal pressure, as I see it, <laughs> because she'd never shown any interest until she saw that everyone else was doing it. So and in the same um, the other way example, in the same daycare, um, they had the shared pictures um. In the parents area, one day of them all making making bottles to feed babies, which I thought was very disturbing because it's encouraging that from such a, a young age, um, and I encouraged Rasha to go in and have a conversation about that, and and um, you know, she did say there are other ways to feed babies, and now that's part of the conversation. But I just wondered, Gabrielle, if you could give me some thoughts on the societal pressure around formula and breastfeeding.
3: Well it's because it's, and I think that's the thing about my book, it was this combination, and I, by the way I'm not against doctors, my daughter, son of you are doctors, and I'm not against men at all, <laughs> but it was this combination of commerce, it's as you follow the money, doctors got interested in infant feeding, they decided to take over, and the whole thing was they thought women were stupid and women didn't know and they needed, you know, I I think I've got it in my book saying this wonderful caring pediatrician very, but the word didn't exist then, um, uh, said, foolish unlearned women have been too long in charge of infant care. The societal pressure, it it only, it it has to be dealt with and it's complicated. I, and I think it needs a lot of thought. And the most thing is being inclusive. I can tell you, when I worked at, some, at UNICEF headquarters, my colleague, David Clark, who was the lawyer, said, we can't take money from Johnson & Johnson because they make bottles. And you know, bottles kill babies, bottles do a lot of harm. In, in, it's impossible to keep them clean in poor societies. And, and this man, the head of fundraising said, bottles, harmful, give me a break. You know, he didn't know. And I think our biggest problem is that people don't know. And we mustn't see, we mustn't, and then there are all the people who say express to put in bottles. People love technical solutions. It's a big issue. And it, we haven't got time here to go into it. But, so I won't, other people have a good idea.
1: No, thank you. Um, Thank you for addressing that issue. So I'm now going to um, deal with the questions from the chat. I will be calling out your name if you're here and you can give me an indication of whether you're happy enough to unmute and chat. If I don't hear from you, I will ask the question on your behalf. So firstly, I'm going to ask Holly. Holly, Carol, are you here and happy to unmute yourself? So, Hello, can you hear me? Yes, we can. Thank you, Holly. And thank you for your question. Yeah, It's a question to Paula Bradley. Um, I know that some of the MPs, um, some of the female MPs, work very hard for Westminster to get a, its own creche um, to support breastfeeding mothers in politics. And I work for local government. And I wonder what, what needs to happen for creches to be...
4: Um, Included in local government buildings so that mothers can return to work easily, especially breastfeeding mothers.
2: Okay, I thank you. Thanks, Holly, for that. Um, I know in the assembly at a time, um probably about six or seven years ago, I sat in the accept, uh, Assembly Executive Review Review Committee where we looked at this very subject for the assembly um, because we had several women then who um were, were pregnant or were of, of childbearing age. That wasn't myself, by the way. Um so we had looked at that for the Northern Ireland Assembly and we went out to the assembly members to consult on that. And it they had decided as an assembly. Members, or we all have decided as assembly members that um, it wasn't uh, the place or we we didn't want to do that in the assembly. But it was more to do with the the, t- the hours that we worked, um, and for child for children to be placed in a crash to maybe three a.m. in the morning. Or um, a lot of assembly members felt that their children would be better with it, w- in childcare nearer the homes rather than in the assembly. Um, though we did make the assembly a breastfeeding friendly. Building uh, and that includes the assembly chamber. Um, and I suppose as assembly members, um, we we are we're self-employed. We we can come and go as we please and breastfeed whenever we want. So we didn't. That didn't affect us greatly. But for staff, um, it's very different. Um, when it comes to local government, local government, as you would know, if you when you, you work in local government, they're very much governed themselves as to what they can and what they want to do and what they will do. Though I am more than happy to take this back as Chair of the Committee for Communities. Um, communities is over local government, as you know. Uh, we regularly would have meetings with Solace and with with NILGA. Um, so I'm more than happy to take this back to local government and ask them. Um, because each council will have their own um, breastfeeding charter or strategy or whatever that might be, um, I'm happy to highlight to highlight that absolutely. My own local council here is Antrim and Newtownabbey. Um, I don't know which council you work for, but I'm I'm more than happy to to progress that issue. I don't see any reason why it shouldn't happen. Um, if there's if there's a, a need for it, and if there's the it, it, and if, if, if women are asking for it. Then you know, to me, I, I don't see an issue with that. It it I mean, it leads to uh, better working conditions, better productivity, all of those things. Um, to be able to have your child near you and to do do uh, you know do your breastfeeding. My daughter in law is a post woman. And when she uh, my grandson is now too. and when she was going back to work a year ago, she had asked about breastfeeding and how she would work that into her postal round. And uh, they said to her when well, you could call into one of those public toilets along your route just call into public toilet and express milk there and she was like, but that that's just horrific. You know, so, I mean, it, it, it's across, they, they they were actually most unhelpful um, when she had said she needed a fridge, she needed somewhere clean that she, to breastfeed, or sorry, to express. And that is what her employer, the Royal Mail, Came up with was to use a public toilet during her round to express milk, you know. So we have we have a long way to go. Uh, I was just listening there to some of the comments that Gabrielle had made and Paul and Lila as well. I my, my youngest was born in nineteen ninety two. He's now twenty nine, and one of the first questions I was asked um, when he was born was, "Are you feeding SMA or Clangate? Um, there was no mention of breastfeeding at all. I think there was only two of us in the entire ward of maybe ten women um, that actually asked about breastfeeding. It was just seen as as the norm was to bottle feed. So I, I'm horrified that we're now in in you know 2021 and the, the, the statistics are showing us that breastfeeding is still is, is still such a low rate of uptake. I, I'm absolutely horrified with it. So I, I make my commitment, Holly, that I will go back and and ask the questions of local government and see what we can do. Um, that, or not see what we can do, ask them what they're going to do, what their policies are. Thanks,
1: Paula. And I suppose just on that issue, and um, we'll, we'll not, um, Discuss it greatly because there's so many people who have questions for this panel. Is just to say there are lots of issues there to try and um, progress in employment legislation, and also, as you have said about um, raising the 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 story about your daughter, which is um, horrendous. And thank you for sharing. Um, there is a, an importance in having conversations with employers, mm-hmm. um, and it, it is um often a sad situation that women have to take that initiative and. While there are some protections, they're just not, you know, not enough.
2: So and that's other, I mean, I suppose that's the other reason why, you know, we don't have our, our own specific legislation here in Northern Ireland. If we had some, uh, you know, legislation in pre- place, at least employers then um would, would, uh, you know, be made to do and um, be made to have, the you know, uh, those uh, certain strategies or whatever it is in place in, in each workplace. But while there's no legislation and while we're working under the Sex Discrimination Act, you know, it's, it's bad. It's really poor.
1: Thank you. Oh, thank you. I just want to include some other people because I, I don't want to dominate the discussion myself. So I have a question from Colette McAllister. Colette, are you still on the call and happy to unmute? Hi, Noah. Yes,
5: I'm
1: good to see you. Good to see you uh, on the call. So. Anyway, do you want to go ahead and ask your questions?
5: No bother at all. And thanks a million to yourself, Nola, and to Paul as well, and Gabrielle and Paula for our panel discussion today. And I think Paul uh, fairly got to the crux of it earlier in terms of the fact that the personal is very much political. Um, my question is just, obviously, uh, I had my first baby um, last March, just at the very beginning of the pandemic, um, and the the midwives were absolutely phenomenal in um, Andromeda at the time, but they were rushed off their feet and... I had so many uh, difficulties in those early days just with latching my baby on, you know, and those initial days are so important for establishing your breastfeeding. And I was consistently having to get them back into the room or or recall them in the night. Um, And because I'd obviously given birth via emergency caesarean, it was particularly difficult. Um, So I guess uh, knowing the the economic benefits, which you have touched on, Gabrielle, quite well, um, and the fact that these are very extensive and multifaceted, um, and also uh, just knowing Um, A lot more uh, of powerful testimonies that you've also touched on in terms of this being actually a matter of life and death, of health and sickness, the antibodies that are given to our babies um, through breastfeeding, being aware of all of that there, uh, you wonder you know, what way that uh, we can focus in on the economic return that breastfeeding does bring to ensure that our, our local hospitals are adequately resourced, so that our midwives or our uh, breastfeeding uh, support workers or consultants are able to provide that support in those early days, or for example, the way that we obviously have our birth and partner whenever you're given birth, but then And they're obviously gone then Um, and then those initial days of breastfeeding, then those many hours that you're in hospital uh, by yourself and maybe can't get that support whenever you need it. And it's particularly difficult. So you wonder um, what ways that we can better support mothers in those times. Thank you all very much for this.
1: Thank you, Colette. Um, Gabrielle, do you want to address parts of that question?
3: Well, I was I've always been saying we have lost knowledge. and it's, and it's because in the, in the past, in that situation with Colette, was it Colette? Yes? Is that your name? Yes, oh, it is yes. indeed. Sorry, I got the name right. Um, is that a mother or an auntie or a granny, you know, if you go back 100 years, she would have said, oh, look, dear, you know, this is how you do it. This is how you do it. Or I'll hold calm the baby down, have another try it was all in the family and that knowledge was there. Well, what artificial feeding has done, and Britain was probably the first country in the world to kind of go over to artificial feeding, um, was that we lost the skill, we lost the knowledge, we didn't know. And also I'm very, very keen on this group confidence. And probably if you had seen breastfeeding happening all around you when you were young, and I, I was, you know, we're all in the same boat, would have come to you in some instinctive way and i I always make that comparison with dancing and singing if you go to a dance like the caribbean countries everybody dances there because two-year-olds dance they see dancing uh i come from a sort of generation where you people used to learn from a book you know because before youtube and all those things and the same with singing if you've never heard singing in your life you don't know how to sing you need that support but i think it has to be a confidence, and then other people, and masses and masses of health workers, probably particularly in your country, of health workers of who didn't breastfeed themselves, and women carry this. You know that someone's. You know, I know that midwives have done calls and said, "Don't worry, dear. I couldn't breastfeed bottles, all right." And they, and it's not. They think they're being kind. Mothers-in-law, mothers do it saying, oh, don't bother with all that, because they've suffered and they carry that pain. And I think we have to be very aware of that, that women don't, they don't forget that, even if they put it out of their mind. So you, we all want to think, I mean, I've I've done terrible things to my children and they're all fine now, you know, because I didn't know, I didn't do the right thing. I didn't know what to do. Um, and, And that's something we have to remember that people are not impartial politicians, health workers, doctors, lawyers, everybody carries their own experience with them and I hope the critical mass, the more people who breastfeed, you'll be, is it, have you got a
5: daughter or a son? Um, yes a son, Good he's son. 17 months now, right. oh, that's is, it, but he is, he's still breastfed now yes. but partly due to right. work from home made it easier
3: to do you know. Yes and I think that's the thing is I'm, I'm not particularly, you need experts for special cases, but as I've lived in a society where, you know, in a sort of almost unconscious way, the auntie just sort of does that after the birth or something, you know, and there are, it's not all perfect, um, But I, and I know, for example, hospitals are great things, but In the Gambia, where they did all that research, they did masses of nutrition research, the only woman who ever had a breastfeeding problem who had twins had delivered in hospital. They never had any breastfeeding problems. So even though it doesn't diminish the suffering of your generation of, of of the more support you need and the lack of staff. And I think it's never given the importance. They don't think it's as important to sit down and take time with you because they've got to deliver babies and do lots of other things so it's a complex thing and you do need a few experts this is a, but not it should become common knowledge in everyday life and and i think and i think that would be also if there were lots of crashes. if everybody breastfed at work if you saw breastfeeding you know sitting in fast food places or on walls outside you pick it up You pick it up subliminally in your brain and that's so every I would say every time any of you breastfeed in public, you're making a significant public health contribution that's saving your government money. So, I'm sure. Thank you. Congratulations.
1: Thanks, Gabrielle. And thanks. Paula, have you any points you would like to add to the discussion?
2: Yeah, but just to, uh, just was thinking there about some of the things that were said earlier about, um, Gabrielle had mentioned the washing of hands and how we do this 100 times a day. And I, I remember um, probably at the early part of the pandemic, I uh, bought myself some masks. So I did off of a, a popular website and um, I started wearing a mask and in and out of Tesco's and everywhere else. And the amount of people that were staring at me. And, you know, some of them were saying, wise up. Why have you got that on? Who do you think you are? You know, all of this, the comments that I got day and daily you know, for those first few months up until everybody was wearing a mask. So kind of just think to myself, you know, is breastfeeding the same? You know, the more we see it, the more that it just is part of it's normal. It's normalized. It's you know, this this is the best start we could possibly give our children. You know that and like, yeah, I, I, I just it just gets me in 2021 that we're even having this conversation that we have to have this conversation around breastfeeding and, uh, you know, what Gabrielle was saying there about the politics of it and about the money involved. And, um, you know, I, 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 I've learned as well. I've learned a lot of things from this meeting this morning and I, I just don't see how, um, you know, economically, breastfeeding has to be the best and the best way forward, especially when we look at, um, especially many families nowadays that, uh, you know, were economically, um where breastfeeding would would certainly help with their their household bills at the end of the week and everything else i just don't get this i just don't get how we're in the position we're in right now um yeah this is this is is eye-opening for me though it is
1: thanks paula and thank you again for your honesty and on the masks if it makes you feel any better um I, at that time, <laughs> I was running around in a handmade visor that my sister made that had a big strawberry sticker right across the top. So I'm sure the looks I was getting at that stage in the COVID journey were worse than you were getting for for wearing a mask. So um, I just thought I would share that. And I've yet to normalize strawberry visors, but hey, I never know. There's time yet. Um, I have a question here from Mara Alexander. I'm just going to check. Mara, are you still on the call with us? Yeah, I'm here, Nula. Brilliant, yeah. great to hear from you. Would you like to put your question to Paula? Um, yeah, so my question, it's primarily to Paula, but it'd, it'd be lovely to hear Gabrielle's thinking on this. And I know Maria Heron had a similar question. What is the biggest barrier that is preventing the full implementation of the WHO code in Northern Ireland? How do we push this to the next level? And I suppose, Gabrielle, what what, what can we do? You know. What, what, what would you suggest that we do next in Northern Ireland to get the hook hold over the line?
2: Well, Gabrielle probably could give you a much more in depth answer as to what the barrier is than me. I, I'm looking at this purely from a legislative and from a, a Northern Ireland Assembly perspective. Um, and I, 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 I'm a great believer in women in politics. I think we would have much more balanced legislation that um, would, would be more gender focused and gender lensed. We don't have that in the assembly. Yeah, we, we absolutely don't. We have a few of us that constantly push for for a gendered lens legislation or for gender budgeting and all of those those things because we know that in in promoting that we're not only promoting women we're promoting families which is exactly what this is doing and promoting health and promoting better outcomes for people and um, so I think that is that is a major challenge when it comes to the Northern Ireland Assembly um, and I think until we see. An increase in female participation, we will not see they a lot of this rolled out in full. I know that um in in I think it was 2012, Edwin Putts had put forward a 10-year um plan um for for breastfeeding. Um that is due to run out. Uh, I think it was it was actually 20, uh, 2013 it runs out. So it was or, yeah, 2013 to 2023. And that, that has not progressed in any way, shape, or form. So it, 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 I, I suppose it's on us as elected representatives to push. Um, but sadly, whenever females are, 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 there's there's so few of us and there's so many issues, um, some things get overlooked so they do. Um, but certainly um, after after today, I know we as a party, we have a, a consultation paper um, that has now been drafted on breastfeeding. Um, I would hope that that consultation paper goes out um, for consult or that paper goes out for consultation um, and I would hope I would uh, you know that all political parties have a, a policy on on breastfeeding and it's up to us to take that forward but there's probably much bigger issues and other political issues with the small pay as well um, that Gabrielle could probably expand on.
1: Just before I, I bring Gabrielle in, Paula just um, you know from my own experience is going to add an, another few barriers in that maybe we can chat through so. Um, you'll know how the assembly operates. And one of the biggest challenges in the assembly is time and getting time on the assembly floor and working through the business committee to get issues prioritised. So in saying the important role that, that in highlighting the important role that women have to play in that you're really bringing to the core uh, a mechanism that will really result in change. And the other barrier to add, and I'm just going to speak quite candidly on it is Securing private members' bills is very, very difficult. Very, very difficult. There isn't much time in each assembly term um, to take them through. And when they go to the bill's office, there's always that shift to kind of minimize it and to focus on one particular thing due to um due to the time on the that is available in the, the assembly calendar so sometimes the bills office can push and pull a little bit that could remove something that is really you know at an early stage it could be really quite significant as as a piece of legislation goes out for consultation um, and then of course there's the role of departments yeah. um you know so you're always in and you'll know yourself from looking at committee agendas and everything else that with the best will in the world you start with a list of things that you want to get through and then as, as the time progresses, the space for change can get smaller and smaller.
2: Um, and I just wondered if you had any thoughts about what we could do or, around that. Yeah, and I think actually there, you mentioned departments there. No matter what the, who the minister is, and a lot of ministers have wonderful ideas and they want to see things progress. Sometimes you have departments that actually there's a lot of pushback. From department because actually you know is that really that popular um do we really need to do that do we really have the money to do that all of these excuses come into play what i was actually thinking um as this has gone along is we have the gender strategy um, which is due to come through um, the Department for Communities as well. Um, so it might be something that we look at in the gender strategy also. Um, do we need to um, put do we need to ask, is breastfeeding even in the gender strategy? And if not, why not? Again, that is my committee that that will come through as well. Um, so I am more than happy to pursue that um, side of it as well. If we want to, we could, we could start off a, a bit of a campaign around that as to why, you know, we, we're, we're coming to the end of a mandate, as you well know, um, we'll go into election mode from Christmas onwards if we're not already in election mode. Um, but I think the gender strategy is due before us, certainly before the end of this year. So we might want to start to asking those questions now, um, to ask, will breastfeeding be included in the gender strategy? And if not why not brilliant and just a wee thought
1: for the next mandate is um paula maybe there's there's an opportunity to use the committee rule for legislation at some point because it is something that hasn't really been fully realized that one of the powers
2: that the, the assembly has gabrielle it might be as well just quickly for the next mandate is to uh, get an all-party group together specifically on breastfeeding Um, Because I find those uh, in the past, I've sat in many over over the years I've been there, are a great vehicle for change and a great way of feeding into the committee structure and feeding into the department. Um, So that might be another idea.
1: Thank you. All very great suggestions. Gabriella, I just wondered if you wanted to add anything to the discussion at this point.
3: Well, I'm very glad Paula's making so much work for herself, but (laughs) I think it cheers me up. Um, yes i was going to say first of all not all women are on the side of breastfeeding so there is the gender issue which is terribly important to me but also you can't do things in this world without getting everybody on board and there are lots of fantastic men and i was just thinking one of somebody nigel rowlands who comes from northern ireland and is a very important pediatrician in who now he saved breastfeeding and he was part of the team in south africa in durban who discovered through good research that exclusive breastfeeding that if hiv positive women ex- did exclusive breastfeeding there was no more transmission than if they had formula fed from the beginning and when i was hiv and infant feeding officer in in, in new york in unicef that was you know, I was, I was. It was like swimming in a sea of sharks because there were many people in WHO and other big organisations who thought the best answer was to ban all breastfeeding for all mothers. You know, which would have led to terrible things and did and did for some in some cases. Um, and he he did this work and he's so on the side of breastfeeding. And if you think with him there and Nestle has just given the money. And, and it's been accepted, and it's a little sweetener. It's just a couple of million, it's to keep them on side. So you have to follow the money. And what, and every government will say, and every, everybody will say, we haven't got any money, I need this money, they're there. Well, I always say that money comes from parents because people don't make this product, artificial milk, because they care about babies. They make it because it's one of the most profitable things in the world. Because once you've sold it, you know, when you said uh, when when uh, was it Colette or some or you or when you said, oh, is it is it um, do you want SMA? It was Paula. Is it SMA or Cowan Gate? Did those health workers know what was in that product? No, they didn't have a clue. Had they tested it? No, they didn't know. They didn't even know whether it contained pathogens. And some of them do. Now, the whole thing is what you have to show. And this is where you need your economists is your government is going to be better off, your economy is going to be better off if you cut all these healthcare costs than if you accept all these sweeteners from this money making, which is our money. It's been stolen from artificially feeding parents who are not given the right information. So always you have to follow the money and you realize the power in the world is whether it is giant corporations, you know, Danone, whoever, who we all have worked very hard to make us think how benign they are. I mean, Nestlé's got this bad name, but surely Danone. And of course, a lot of of these products are made in Ireland. I don't know whether a lot of the milk comes from Ireland, uh, north and south, And, and it's, you know, we're in this entrenched situation. If every woman and the family is supported and just says, no, I'm not going to use this, then it can be where it was supposed to be when it was invented for orphans, for rare cases, for extraordinary cases. And it's and I, I know that somebody I knew, her child in Africa saw a European family bottle feeding and said, oh, is that child adopted? Because they took it for granted. But I'm afraid always you have to follow the money and the power structures.
1: Thank you. And as industry continues to grow, I think mm. making ethical decisions becomes more difficult for people because mm there are so many, um, it's so pervasive across our high streets and even decisions that people make about purchasing different items because of cost and price um, continues to facilitate industry having such a strong hold over, over our lives.
3: And and I would, well sorry to cut in but it's, but it's because it's subliminal and I remember one of my students did an assignment on complementary feeding and she put rice is a gentle product is this a scientific term she didn't even know she'd read it in an advertisement you know baby rice is gentle she'd read it in an advertisement but she thought she'd read it in a scientific journal and it's a meaningless term so and and in all the promotion which shouldn't exist at all you know this is a replacement body fluid and we should have the same standards as for a drug and just i was prescribed something the other day and i read the contraindications and thought i can't take this you see now that should be what it is for every parent they should have the truth and of course it's going to be difficult and they mustn't feel bludgeoned into breastfeeding if they don't want to but why are we lying to parents why are governments when it's the most important time in life and i have never you know doctors and people don't say your child got this because you weren't breastfed it's too cruel but we have to somehow get this information across
1: Thank you, and just to highlight to the panel, we are now at two o'clock, so can can you give me an indication if you're happy to continue to about 20 past two, just because there are so many women who have questions in, in the chat. Is that okay with you both, Gabrielle and Paula? Yeah, you're okay to stay for another wee while? So um, Claire, who's on the call, had asked if you could provide the citation for the article. I will get in touch with you after and we can post it up on our facebook page so that everyone can access to it so emma roden if you're still on the call you have a question would you like to unmute and ask
6: hi yeah Um, i think you might have already answered this really actually Um, but it was just um you know governments want to support their economic growth and and infant formula and foods bring huge huge profits so I suppose it's that that conflict of interest, um, even though we've got clear health and economic benefits of breastfeeding, how how do you get breastfeeding prioritised over that? Um, you know, and like you've already said, if um, formula companies are taking their profits from the public and then reinvesting that back into sort of undermining breastfeeding, um, it's just this ongoing cycle. So it's how, how do we break that cycle? How do we push the code
1: through into actual legislation. Gabrielle, I'm gonna going ask if you any comments on that beforehand to Paula? Do you want me to say something? Just if you have anything because it, it was still in the right. discussion of industry I and then we'll deal with the I legislation. I think it's
3: important when we are a campaigner it's important to propose something concrete rather than always criticize because you know everything is too difficult. And I would think when people say, but we need that money, I think you could have, you could say, well, look, take a tax from every company, a specific tax that goes into code implementation by the government. And if, because the companies are always saying, oh, we care about the code, we care about breastfeeding, we care in that case, tax them and each company could pay tax. That's a proposal, it's unlikely to happen, but, I think it is all a matter of education, education of the powerful. And at the moment, the campaign groups across the world, they're quite, in my opinion, I don't know because I don't know what's going on everywhere. They're quite fragile because they're not getting funding because funding from aid agencies doesn't go into this. But I think I think you're doing it, you're doing it. And the code is there. And I've always said, look, All those officials, I mean, for goodness sake, Margaret Thatcher voted for the code (laughs) and it's updated every other year and it's full of good stuff. Are we saying all that work is meaningless? Um, It hasn't been implemented properly because company lawyers, it's not every country in the world still does some promotion except a few like Mozambique, usually the very poor countries where they don't bother to market. We haven't won yet. It's still not... um, only scientific and factual information it is they're still abusing it and they invented all these other products to get around it you know follow on milk shouldn't exist after a year give your children a glass of ordinary cow's milk you know it's all rubbish um they you just have to try and make it interesting <laughs> and and explain rights to people and if i knew the answer to that question i wouldn't be going into despair every month when I read something else. Uh, I will be a much more cheerful person.
1: (laughs) Thank you so much. One thing that the Assembly does have is revenue generation powers, and that's revenue generation powers with a purpose. It has to be, if a stream is to be enacted, it has to have a purpose. So I believe you may have just coined a very, very good um, example of a potential revenue raising power for the assembly so thank you for that and uh, we will take that on board and think think a bit more about how that you know your, the suggestion that you have made could be implemented in this space
5: paula sorry so
3: don't let the companies start telling you what to do you know that's the most important thing
1: yeah just love that idea so watch this space i think um, there's like a campaign team led um, by the code monitoring group here and Claire Flynn and Jennifer Hunratti, um who are listening in on this call. So I guess it's time to get some heads together and think about that particular example. Paula, have you anything you'd
2: like to add at this point? Just to add on that, you know, as you know, we we get we receive money through our Barnett Consequential from Westminster. And there's various types of tax. If you take like the sugar tax, um, and we'll receive uh, part of that as a Barnett Consequential. And, but in the Northern Ireland Assembly, any of that money that we receive, no matter what it is, whatever it's for, or whatever the tax might be, um, it's up to the Assembly then how it's spent. So what we find then is we get specific money um, under various taxes, and that money could go absolutely anywhere. It doesn't even have to be spent on combating um, whatever the, 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 the tax power is from Westminster. Um, so it just goes into the one big pot and it just depends on what is competing, which is generally health and education. Um, so it just, you know, you have any of this money that is going to central government, you know, it's just rather shameful and hypocritical that that money then is maybe going to health inequalities um, or, or, you know, education inequalities or underachievement. Um, and that money is coming from from many of those families that are that are are, are are on the lowest income band, are 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 paying into that, and then at the, yeah, yeah, so it we there's no there, just to say that you know any money that we do get from Westminster goes into one big pot, and it's whatever is competing on the other side, um that's where the money goes to, um so it's very difficult um for but I'm I'm interested in your your idea there, of the uh of of the 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 the, the powers that we have in the assembly. Um, so I look forward to seeing what you, you come up with on that. Yeah, that would be interesting.
1: Yeah, I think it is an interesting space that we've got to here, now. So um, I am going to ask our founder, Jennifer Hunrati, to raise a question, and then we really will be going to the close. But there are some wonderful women on this call who are from the Code Monitoring Group, NI. So following Jennifer's um, question, I will be just calling on them to, to make the final question. So, Maria, if you're on the call, I'll be coming to you after Jennifer, and then we'll close the event after the response to your question. So, Jennifer, would you like to unmute and ask your question? Thanks, Nuala, Um, and
6: thank you, everyone, um, for such a, a brilliant discussion um, this afternoon. Um, it was just listening to the discussion. It struck me that we were talking a lot about um, Antenatal education and health um, and birth and breastfeeding being in the health space, or breastfeeding being a women's issue or a public health issue, but breastfeeding is an issue that cuts across so many different aspects of life and, and aspects of society. It cuts across health and education. We have the educate, Department of Education responsible for Sure Starts, which is such a valuable resource in the community in Northern Ireland. Um, but we also have Paula here as a chair of the Communities Committee there's impacts on the environment, there's economic impacts on breastfeeding. So how or what are the mechanisms by which government departments or what are the mechanisms by which we as individuals, organizations can ask government departments to work together to implement and fund policies around around breastfeeding and and early support for families? Do you
2: want me to take that, Nita? Place, yep. I, guess, okay. um, I suppose in an ideal world, we would have legislation, but um, in a less ideal world, we would have a strategy. Um, if we could get to the point where we have a strategy in place then that is overarching across all departments. So it, uh, you know, every department has to comply with the strategy. Um, you'll all be aware that we have numerous strategies in the assembly over its, its time that sit in our library up there. A beautiful library full of strategies that just collect dust because strategies are only as good as the people that implement the strategies or hold them to account. Um, so therefore, it has to be a robust strategy. Uh, that, that fits in also in with uh, program for government outcomes, which this does. It absolutely does. Um, so if we could if we could get to the point where we have a specific strategy, which I do think is doable, um, then that strategy will hold every department to account, every minister to account, um, uh, as to as to meeting the aims and the objectives of that strategy. Um, so I think that is something that certainly we need to we need to push for at the very least. We need to push for that strategy, but it needs to be a robust strategy um, because, as I say, I've seen so many over the years that have been rushed through um, just to get them through before an end of a mandate or whatever that might be. And they, they really are not worth the paper they're written on. But I do think, I mean, there's a lot of expertise, there's a lot of expertise on this call um, that, that could certainly drive for a, a strategy. I would imagine that, that if it wasn't a, a specific breastfeeding strategy, it would fall within the Department for Health. Um, I know I'd mentioned the gender strategy earlier, just thinking if we could tag it on somewhere. I do think it does need its own strategy, though. Um, to hold all departments departments
6: to account. And I just didn't know that Claire Claire Flynn who's on the call, she had um, done a a response to the consultation for government noting that breastfeeding wasn't included um, in the program for government um, and that's something that that would need to be addressed as well.
1: Thanks Jennifer. Um, I was just going to pick up on a couple of things Sarah mentioned. So Paula, previously you had highlighted the financial challenges that um, face the assembly and last night we were having a bit of a chat about this as well and that it's so difficult to get properly costed proposals put forward to the assembly and that the budget negotiations are still very much negotiations we have a long way to go to really begin to discuss how to properly resource these interventions and um, like you'll know as much as I do, how difficult it is when something falls into two different departments and the kind of tussle that kind of happens largely at official level again um, around um, trying to leave it in one department rather than the other. And all of these are presenting challenges to a fully integrated approach. Um, would you have a quick comment on that before I hand
2: over to Gabrielle for a thought? There's generally a lead department, though, that will, will, will lead with that. And I see lots of people are coming up about the breastfeeding strategy. I mean, obviously, the, the, the strategy as it is at present is not robust enough if it's not getting the, the outcomes and it certainly isn't. By going by today's conversation, the outcomes are not there. Um. So there will be a lead department, and that lead department needs to be held to account. Um. But I. I that's why I. I, I often think that if we look at the mental health strategy, we have a mental health champion. So there needs to be champions within those departments that that are covered that that are actually. Uh, championing the cause and 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 just holding the feet to the, uh, the, feet to the fire of the department uh, at all times and asking them what are you actually doing that doesn't seem to be happening um as it stands at the moment or we wouldn't be having this conversation and these issues wouldn't be wouldn't be highlighted um here today but certainly as i say there there will be a lead department um but again it, it's it's only as good any strategy is only as good as the people that have been put in charge to to deliver the strategy, and 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 sadly, quite often, I mean that that, that it, we don't see it happening. We, we have it with autism, we have it with mental health, we have lots of issues where we just don't see the full delivery. Um, we don't see it actually measured then against the outcomes of the programme for government, which I think is another um, a, another strand. And we're, we're lucky to have that here in Northern Ireland. The one year budgeting doesn't help us at all, doesn't help us in any way, shape or form. We're unable to plan in, in any way and that's why we need the multi-year budgets um, that will hopefully play in coming years we'll be able to work towards.
1: I think those are valid points. I think the breastfeeding strategy has un- unfortunately fallen. Um, it isn't receiving the political priority that it deserves, and these kind of discussions that we're having aren't necessarily being had in the formal spaces that can affect change. So I think you've raised good, um, some good points in that context. Gabrielle, if you have anything that you would like to add in response to Jennifer's question? Yes, I think it's, I must say the thing
3: I've learned <laughs> from my long life is that people never let the facts constrain their arguments. So I love all the information. You know, obesity strategies start at the beginning. You know, my Westminster doesn't ever look at the babies, you know, when they're talking about diet and health, you know, they don't mention it. It's all from five, all about losing weight, uh, all sorts of things. I think it would be really good if you had a really good communications, even dare I say to a marketing person, those, those people, those psycho- psychology-based people who know how to get to people, you know, who know how to communicate a very simple statement, not as to be in charge, but someone who really understands how, how you communicate publicly. I don't know, I don't know how to do that. Um, you know I write a book but you can't force people to read a book and I think we can learn a lot sadly from marketing people who know how to get a message across and once you know it's the critical mass once you get a majority of women breastfeeding where it is normalized then it'll have a domino effect you know and I think with Covid and with climate change There's no argument, you know, in France, breastfeeding soared during the Second World War and then it fell down again. So that's a sad reason to make it happen, but you need a communications expert and talented person just to advise you.
1: Okay, and Gabrielle, just before we finish the call and I thank everyone, and I want to bring in Maria Heron because Maria is one of the women that, really assisted me in gathering information to send to you as you were deciding, you're making your decision to um to participate in this wonderful event. So I would really like to give the last um, you know, participation to Maria just before we close the event. So Maria, can I ask you to unmute and and raise your questions?
4: Lovely, thank you very much, Nilla, um, and I'm just absolutely delighted uh, to meet with you, Gabrielle, in this format. This is one of the the books. This has almost been a, like a bible for me since my eldest son was born nearly 29 years ago, and it, it um, set a fire off inside me. And I have to say, it's probably one of the reasons that I'm still involved in the the breastfeeding world. Um, and you know, just I think the the disruption of that lovely relationship between mothers and babies it's it's I just sort of feel how dare they you know and that it's continuing today and as you say there's so much money so much psychology pumped into it and ultimately it's us that are are missing out, but there has been I mean I think for Northern Ireland, this is a really interesting time. And that terminology used like critical mass that there's so much passion here mm-hmm. and we're in a, a an interesting position too In that this is such a broad cross-community issue you know that we have everybody is helping each other um and we've got some great groups here like breastfeeding northern ireland the strategy i think you know and hearing the ideas here is it's really exciting and i think maybe for more of us to get involved in the next strategy and have that very clearly on the table about the full implementation of the code. Um, the, the group Code Monitoring Northern Ireland was set up a couple of years ago um, by Claire Hackett, who interestingly herself has now become involved in politics. So that, that's really fabulous that we'll have a champion there. But I think, um, you know, in terms of the relationship and building the relationship with the Department of Health and with the current Minister for Health, At least in the most recent correspondence back, there was acknowledgement that there is a need to protect pregnant women and their families from aggressive marketing. There's also recognition that the legislation could be strengthened and that the limitations of the current legislation. However, there was this sort of sense that we needed to wait for the UK and for the South of Ireland to do something before we should do something. And, you know, I don't think we should agree with that at all. <laughs> I think, you know, we this is an opportunity for Northern Ireland to lead the way and on such a positive topic and at such a port- an important time. So, Gabrielle, if you have any final words of wisdom, that would be very welcome. Thank you.
3: Well, it's about small groups. And I think, um, for example, look at Wales. Wales had, I think, the highest vaccination rate in the world, you know, for us. A- per population at one stage I heard this on more or less with Tim Hartford on Radio 4 Um, and Wales just had far more with their control of Covid they just quietly thoughtfully looked at the facts and took policy decisions not hysterical not back and forth and they just did it and we said oh little Wales you know fancy them and as from the beginning of this whole session I thought oh please just do it yourselves don't wait for the uk don't wait for ireland you know the rest of ireland just just do it and if you have small models i mean this goes for all mother and child health and all sorts of health initiatives if you have small models of exercise of an of, of example i can't speak anymore <laughs> they they um people use them people love a model that works, and if you can do it with all your other problems, you can do anything, I mean it's just wonderful and and I feel use the energy while you've got it, I speak, I speak as a worn out person, use your energy while you've got it and and i'm very cheered and uplifted by everything i've learned today from all of you.
1: Thank you Gabrielle Paula, would you have any comments and response to Maria's. um, points there
2: that you raised yeah just let's just get on with it um northern ireland has led the way in many things especially in health and social care i mean we were the first part of, of these islands um to have a joint health and social care um which which others then followed Um, i think it was jennifer had made the point in the chat there about us being a small i mean we're a small island within an island, uh, you know, we, we have the ability um, to to be the exemplar, to be the model. I, I don't see why we don't. Uh, you know, quite often we get stuff that's sent through to us from Westminster and we change it anyway because mm-hmm. we change it to suit our demographic here in Northern Ireland. So why? why I mean, the fact that we're, we're going to wait to see what the rest of the UK does, no, that doesn't make sense to me at all. Um, I think we should just get on with it. So I'm happy to lobby on behalf and to to champion that as well in the assembly oh thank you
1: paula and all that um remains for me to say is what a wonderful experience that we've all had um this afternoon sharing time with the both of you paula i just have to say you know just for everyone that's on the call um we have had one of the most senior politicians in the region join us today and to listen and to present ideas. And I think we are all more energized for, for hearing your suggestions. And we have a very, very, very clear path of action. So thank you for joining um, us to, to develop that. And Maria, just while you're still here, I was a bit emotional hearing your comments there because I think it really crystallizes what we need to do moving on from this, this call. Um, Gabrielle, and what can I say, I mean, how privileged are we to have had you to give us all of your inspiration and your thoughts and your time, we are so privileged to have had you on the call, and I think the wonderful work that will come out of this will be very much built upon, um, you know, all all of the work that you have undertaken in this space, so thank you so much for your time today, we are absolutely privileged.
3: Well, thank to all of you. It's a real honor to be. I I you know, I was very reluctant, very, very reluctant, because it's the first thing I'd ever done outside retiring years ago. And I and I it's 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 a real, real honor to be able to con- be in contact with you doing such sterling work that is to me is effective. The way you're doing it is effective. And it will cheer me up <laughs> tremendously. <laughs>
1: thanks to thank you so much again, Gabrielle, and thanks to everyone who joined this call and all of the people that have posted questions in the chat that we didn't get to because there are so many of you. And I can only apologize that we didn't get to deal with those issues today, but we will save the chat and come back to them at another point. And let's look forward to a good time of planning and plotting about what the next stages are. And Paula, we'll certainly be calling on you um, in terms of some of the many ideas that you've, you've brought out to us today. Um, Jennifer, would you like to say any quick closing words?
6: I think just to to echo those sentiments, thank you all so much um, for being here and being part of this session. And thank you, Gabrielle, for coming out of retirement um, to join us. Um, And we're really yeah, just inspired and excited um, to take some of this work forward we will be noting everything that's been said today and re-watching this video to make sure that we have um, taken note of of all of the commitments and all of the things that we um, collectively not just breastfeeding but code monitoring and all of the amazing women the passion that we have in the community to to move things forward and, and, and improve the landscape for for all women who want to want to breastfeed their babies